Hello, it's Terry Edom here, the author of The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity. Excellent. Thank you for joining us here today. Also a writer for the BOE Report and a blogger for his very own public energy number one. Are you still doing those two things too? I am, as much as I can. So first of all, before before we get into the book, go ahead and give yourself a plug for the three different uh, sites you do for You're an author, so you get your book available at Amazon and also bookstores. And then you've got yep. your BOE report, which is a, uh, a news outlet. And then you've got your blog, which for some reason, you're, you're a blog, man. You, you, you made it through the blogging graveyard, which you know that. I mean, what was it? Nine out of 10, nine, 99 out of 100 blogs there in the graveyard somewhere. So, Yeah, that's right. Most people don't carry on with them. So I guess I just, uh, uh, I guess I either care or I'm interested or some combination of the two. I guess it, what bugs me most is the energy ignorance out there. And, uh, yeah, it's just too annoying to let slip past. So character flaw of mine. public energy number one, talk to me about that. So I started that. Uh, that's where I started writing back in 2014. And it was basically just to uh, answer questions for friends. Um, that, I've always liked writing, and it was just kind of an outlet that I could write. And I would uh, people would say, um, I get a call from a friend or something outside the oil patch saying what's fracking all about or is it really dangerous or whatever so i just write up an article and send it to not even an article just like a, a answer and try, try and expand it in a way that's readable because even a lot of people will say that they're interested in fracking but they really aren't they just i mean once you get into the weeds of what it actually is you, their eyes glaze over pretty quickly mm-hmm. so I would try and make it readable for them, and then um, I would get these feedback from people saying, hey, this is great, Can I, do you mind if I send it around, or you made it understandable, or whatever, and I enjoyed doing it, so then I um, I just thought I'd put it on a um, on a blog, which, and I had to do it anonymously to start with, because I was a spokesman for a pipeline company at the time who wouldn't have appreciated me being a spokesman for anything else, so, so I, it was like my nighttime hobby. I would go answer these questions, post them online, I would enjoy writing them, and then, like you said, most blogs fail because people just aren't. Uh, it takes a lot of work, and um, but I liked it. And then, luckily, it just started building. And then um, I started writing for the BOE Report, which is uh, an industry trade site. So that's a little bit more hardcore oil and gas, and we get into more issues about that, that impact the industry. Uh, and then, then the book just kind of flowed out of all of that too. It just, I kept getting requests from people saying, yeah, we, "I like how you write about energy and you make it relatable. How do we make this relatable for for more and more people?" So I wrote the book, kind of from the viewpoint of, uh, or, or for people that don't know anything about energy, just try and get the context out there to them. People get fed a lot of stuff in the in the news and the media that's just profoundly untrue about for example, how easy it's going to be to go all renewable or something. There's a lot of vested interests that, that push that theme, and it, it's just not even true. And I wouldn't care if people, I mean, there's a lot of things that people uh, believe out there that are wrong, but this is impacting our policy. And we see, we see that, you see it there, we see it here, where our, our industry is under siege. Um, people are trying to, to wipe out the hydrocarbon industry, and it, but it's the fuel that keeps everyone alive, and it's it's just this, paradox which uh it's just it, it's almost insanity which is ties to the title of my book but we're, it's happening and and we can't let people get away with it terry edom is with us the man the myth the legend the author writer and blogger and going through his kind of his professional passion which has led him to where he's at today it's one of the many reasons why we like to check in with mr terry edom here in the crude life is number one he's he's put his his money where his mouth is, his, his hobby has turned into a nice side profession, which turned into uh, a profession, which has turned into a great lifestyle for him. The other reason is he lives in Canada. So he's got a different international <laughs> perspective on it. And it's not just for your accent or your covered O, you know, about and boat, you know, it's, we, we like to make fun of your accent, but at the same time, that, you know, you, you, you've got a very socialized uh, lifestyle up there, a lot more than the United States. No, don't we? So I like to compare yeah. and contrast some of the inter- international energy things. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to bring you on today about was this article I got that I sent you that talks about just really some of the woes that uh, 
Europe is having when it comes to renewable energy, this this aggressive crash course that that they seem to be on to get on renewables and off fossil fuelables, right? And I I don't even know if that Germany which is the poster child, even got to a third. I thought I saw 30%, but I for some reason I thought it might have been under 30. So just being generous, let's say they got a third of their grid to renewables. That wasn't sustainable. They had to turn on the coal plants, and it also made their energy grid, or I'm sorry, their energy bills three to four times what they were already paying. So there was really not a lot of positive that came out of it. And in the headline, it said, Canada, you're next. And so I thought, okay, this will be fun. But in that first line, it said um, energy poverty. And to me, that's just socialism. I, I, to me, if, if, when, when you call something energy poverty, that is done by regulation, because there's a lot of that, yeah. options out there. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that, I, that's exactly what it is. Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's entirely created by regulation. It's like you said, it's there. It's a problem of their own making. Well, and Germany is so ironic as a poster child. They had a lot of power from nuclear, which is as green as it gets. I mean, some people don't like the waste, but you can't deny that the power generated by nuclear is clean. And for whatever reason, they decided to get rid of nuclear. They panicked and and said, we have to close all our nuclear plants. And and then th- this is where the ignorance part comes in. And then the the people that had the politicians' ears said, "Well, let's just go to wind and solar. That's how you replace renu- or, uh, nuclear." And oh yeah, there's that dirty old coal in the background, but we'll get rid of that too. And as it turns out, well, it's not so easy. And they still get a quarter, I think, from coal, and um, and they've gone full on into this wind and solar push. And, and and it it has, as you pointed out, or you showed me in that article, which is true, the the costs skyrocket for the average citizen. The reliability of the grid goes down because now you're dependent on an intermittent source, which you can't count on, and you still need a backup supply of reliable power. And and the, the costs of um, there's very few articles that seem to make the news internationally, especially about the actual cost that people face. And, and this energy poverty uh, yardstick here that's just fascinating. The percentage of people that that spend uh, forget what the a significant component of their income on power. Uh, it, it's huge across the states. Some of those are poor EU countries. Uh, you mentioned it's coming to Canada. It's kind of ironic because in Ontario, our biggest province here, which is mainly a manufacturing place, but it's a huge, or their economy is manufacturing based. But they had a green government come in about uh, ten years ago or so, and they um, decided to go all green too. And the uh, I, I found another article talking about how the uproar that happened there. People's bills, electrical bills, doubled. Some of the rural areas, uh, some places were seeing their electricity bills at a thousand dollars a month, and and that was go- that was gone up like fivefold from what it had been before. And that's thanks to going to to go to uh, green energy. And and Ontario is blessed with uh, tons of hydroelectric power. They've got dams and and a lot of that. But uh, but the, the European thing is so stark that this is what happens when you try and push it without understanding all the second and third order consequences. These articles are so maddening to me because they they leave out so much of the context. Like I said, it's this article is pretty much to sell the word energy poverty, and mm-hmm. that bothers me because it it's almost like um, the the great philosopher George Carlin. You know George Carlin, the great philosopher, <laughs> uh-huh. when he, when he got into his uh, shell shock and PTSD and battlefield fatigue. And when he got into soft language and he talked about how if you change the language enough and you make it soft enough and all this other stuff, pretty soon it doesn't have the same effect that it does before. And it talked about post-traumatic stress disorder, which we now call what PTSD. Uh, It was called battlefield fatigue, but originally it was called shell-shocked, you know, shell-shocked. I mean, you know. And and he he brings up a great point that if we'd continue calling it that, it probably would have been funded differently, and and it would have been. I look at this the same way. I mean, you start saying energy poverty, we're so acceptance to the word poverty now that we just let government take care of it, and that's what they're doing here now. Yeah, it's like they're saying, "I oh, will just let the yeah. government take care of the energy bills for everybody." That's that's something we need, 
And it's, um, is this, how, how deep is this in Canada, I guess? Because the thing that I'm trying to not put my conspiracy mind around is it almost seems like they're trying to usher in socialism through energy in the United States. Oh, you, you hit the nail squarely on the head. And I think that there's, um, the, well, one bad habit that we've fallen into is an energy sector, hydrocarbon sector, is we, we speak out against environmentalists, but there's there's true environmentalists, and then there's the climate change crowd, and they're two totally different beasts. Environmentalists are people that want to lower their footprint, they want to live a cleaner life, they want to get better mileage with their car, they buy a Honda Civic instead of a, a big SUV or whatever, and they recycle, and they and all of those good things, and I call them the Mother Earth news crowd because they're that's the way they live grow their own vegetables where they can and that sort of thing the climate change people are political beasts and i think that they're just smuggling in they're using the environmental cause to uh well the european guys some of them are quite open that they want to overthrow capitalism you can read this in uh publications like the guardian out of the uk um some of their poster child uh, uh editorialists there talk about how we have to the only way to save the climate is to overthrow capitalism. They're, they're quite blatant about it. And that's coming into the States. AOC, uh, how do you pronounce her name, Alexandria or whatever, um, your little poster child down there, That like her her and Bernie Sanders would love to overthrow capitalism. They, they want to become democratic socialists, they call it, but they want state control of things. And that this is it's a power grab in a sense. Uh, and, and I firmly believe that that's true. That they're and they're using the environment as a as a means to do that. And, and you're right. They, they 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 convince people. Oh, you will look after your power bill. The state will will get the money from somewhere. We'll squeeze it out of something. We'll we'll get everybody in an electric vehicle by giving you back ten thousand dollars if you buy one. Go buy a Tesla and we'll give you a check for ten thousand dollars or seven thousand or whatever they do in California. And and it's just there. It's just uh, it's it's. It's a broken market, and as, as you see in Europe, and the closer you get to full implementation, the, the harder and harder it becomes. There's one article about how uh, the true expense of Germany going green, and, and you, you can get to 10% level of renewables or something without too much bother, and then 20% is more of a challenge. And then after that, every incremental 10% just becomes much, much harder and more expensive. And, and like you said, they're not even... Um, Germany might be a third renewable, and that's a that's a uh, dangerous slippery slope to go on when you talk about how much percent they get from renewable, because people get confused with uh, how much capability they have versus how much they actually require of each source. And, but anyways, uh, Germany's gone a long ways, and it's cost them an absolute fortune, hundreds of billions of dollars. I think over five hundred billion dollars. I've seen estimates. And their emissions haven't gone down at all over the past 10, 15 years, and they're still projected to not go down. They're still trying to expand a coal mine in Germany. They're trying to knock down a forest, and and these protesters are hanging out in the forest for no surprise there, uh, because they're trying to get get it um, leave the forest intact. Uh, so this is happening in in the, the heartland of green the green revolution. So it just doesn't work. You just you can't. You can't uh, demonize the petroleum industry and and try and do what they're doing. And and the world looks like it just has to find out the hard way. Nobody will listen until they see it. We've gone back several years. Um, Terry Edom with the BOE report, Public Energy Number One, also the author of the End of Fossil Fuel. Let's start uh, Fossil Fuel Insanity. What's the exact title again? The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity. You got it. The end of the fossil fuel insanity. Oh. Okay. Okay, uh, copy. And yeah, pick it up. Amazon.com. We'll have links at our show page here at the Crude Life. By the way, you know, the Crude Life podcast, we can be a little more relaxed during the podcast. Like I use nicknames now because, you know, it's a, because of the environmental movement and how I was talking about the smoking ban and the cigarette uh, parallel five years ago. In fact, mm-hmm. probably you and I interviews three years ago, we were talking about it. Um, they're, yeah, yeah. they're calling me the shale play prophet. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving that. And, oh, the, Nor- and the North Dakota nomad, because you know, I, I move around and, <laughs> and, you know, we do uh, here at the crude life though, we do talk about topics that a lot of people don't talk about. We, we try to stay ahead of the curve. We try to stay proactive. You've been one that has been following the rise of the environmental movement with me for a long time. Of course, you're in Canada, so you've got a completely different perspective. 
I do want to see uh, get your perspective of my uh, comparison to uh, the smoking ban. And I've been saying this for a while now that I really think the energy industry, they're, they're still caught up in an energy debate when I think the activists have been going at it, especially this year from a public health debate, so much so that Jim Cramer compared tobacco or uh, tobacco companies to oil companies uh, just over over the weekend. So your thoughts on that? Because um, you and I have been talking about this for over three years. Yeah, well, it's, it's outrageous, but in some ways it's our own fault. Like you said, that we've, we've allowed it to come to this. Uh, first of all, any comparison between tobacco and, and petroleum is just so ludicrous it leaves me breathless. How many people... Uh, any, anyone out there listening, anywhere on Earth, I, I dare you to live for as long without fossil fuels as you can without tobacco products. You, tobacco products add nothing to life other than some brief pleasure for those that enjoy it, and uh, they, they, they cut your lifespan down, whereas petroleum products or hydrocarbons or fossil fuels, whatever you want to call them, we can't live without them for half an hour, especially here in the winter. So... It, the, the comparison is just ludicrous, um, and that somebody like Kramer would say that. Well, I'm not a fan of his, so it's not that surprising. But it just shows you the the intellectual short circuiting that people make with 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 zero thought into these things. They just they, they don't they don't attempt to contextualize it properly. They just uh, take these messages and and they sound simplistic. They're sound bites, and they're provided by the the so-called environmental movement, but it's really the climate change movement that's doing it. And you're right, they're so far ahead of us, uh, the, the petroleum sector, as far as the messaging and the smearing and the... Um, well, they've got an army of, of people doing this. If you go to any uh, climate activist website, uh, there's like dozens here in Canada, but just pull up one of their websites. Go to 350.org, go to Greenpeace, go to Sierra Club, go to any of these, and just look at the army of people that they have working for them. All of these, and I don't even know where all the money comes from, but it's a lot of money. But I think it's the likes of Michael Bloomberg and whatnot. Um, but but they're well-paid professionals, and they sit there. They produce nothing. All they're trying to do is undermine um, the petroleum sector and push their agenda. And they have nothing better to do literally all day than come up with messages to counteract whatever we want to talk about. When, when If we want to talk about... Uh, if you want to put messages out there into the public realm about how much people rely on on petroleum products, or let's say how many things in your in your household are made out of petroleum products, and it's virtually everything, it's either made from it or it came it was brought there to you by petroleum products. They're working on messages to shut that down, and and that's why they uh, if they can't uh, counteract it directly, they come up with something like Greta, who's a little figurehead, and and that that's their that's their job. That's and they're very good at it, and we haven't been good at it. We're 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 like we're ten miles behind them in terms of messaging, and we're paying the price for it. But I, I hope that enough people out there take it seriously that they're willing to put together their own social media or armies and start playing in the same battlefield that they are. Because we're losing, like you said, there you, you we're losing the legislative war. We're losing um, yet people like Kramer. Who's, who's not the wisest guy around anyways, but when he speaks, a lot of people listen to him. And when he says things, says things like that, people take that message and they absorb it as being some sort of truth just because he's so so outspoken and out there. And we need to we need to have somebody in Kramer's ear saying that that's nonsense because it is. The thing that I'm taking away from this too that I'd like your opinion on, because I don't know if I've asked you this or not, since uh, Greta Thunberg, who you mentioned, was named times person of the year as soon as that happened i the very next day in fact that night for anybody who would listen i was on record saying that uh time magazine by stamping that by making her the time person of the year not only made the environment that the topic of 2020 but it also made existential fear in children cool and what i mean by that is uh, in California, did I send you that article about the kids drenching themselves in oil in Sacramento? No. So in Sacramento, California no. last week to protest the teacher's pension fund, which apparently has some fossil fuel monies tied to it in, this, in a roundabout way. They, they mm-hmm. used children to protest at the state capitol drenched in fake oil in order, and a 12-year-old 
teens, 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds, they, they used uh, children in order to basically pass a political agenda. And that's what's going on. And, and all I could think of was now that they're using children for protests as the centerpiece, this is no different than when I take my kid to you know the, the pizza buffet after the basketball game. I mean, that's what I see these parents doing that I truly believe, and I hope I'm not right on this with my shale play profitness, but um, I, I, I think there's going to be some parent that'll look at their kid as the next Aaron Brockovich against the fossil fuel industry, and that worries me. I think we're, we're there already in Canada. Like there's, <laughs> no, thanks for that. We're, we're, you're, you're like, we're already there, big guy. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, well, there's, uh, before Christmas, there was a group of, I think it was 13 kids that got paraded out onto a stage in Vancouver and they announced that they were suing when Greta was in town in our country here. Um, and they announced that they were suing the federal government for uh, not doing enough for climate change. And, and it's just such a well-orchestrated thing. There's, these kids are like 13, and they have a bunch of lawyers behind them. And, and it takes, in Canada, it's, it's a challenge to launch a lawsuit like that. But they've got all sorts of legal help. They've got all of these groups funding it. And, and the lawyers have done all the paperwork. And here's these little kids up there talking outrageous nonsense about how they can't go outside because it's cold out, because of climate change, the extreme cold, or one kid couldn't play hockey in Ottawa because the ice was melted and he's sad. And literally, this is in their in their lawsuit. I'm taking those examples out of them. They're true. Um, and, and and but they're they're poster children. Of course, they're a cross section, multiracial, uh, just a perfect uh, blend. Um, and, and it's that there's there's laws against using kids in advertising or targeting kids in advertising, but yet they're, they're using them unabashedly for their own purposes. You look at Greta herself. She's a Swedish kid sitting on school steps in the spring, and in the fall, she's addressing the United Nations. How does that happen? There's absolutely nothing to do with, with her message. That has to do with a, a, a wildly successful campaign supported by a lot of very senior people to make that happen. Who address, would, Could you address the UN if you wanted, with your years of energy experience, or could anyone? Um, and then they sat there and they listened to her, while she lectured them, it was just absurd. But that—that's the world we live in now. So um, I, I think, yeah, when you talk about the next Darren Brockovich, yeah, it's—it's it's coming for sure. There, I bet you there are groups like, um, if you could get somebody from National Resources Defense Council, who's a big player down in the states there on the climate activist scene, and they're an army of lawyers. And I, if you could pin someone down to actually answer your questions, I bet you they would say that they have things like that in the works. And I, I think there's like a thousand lawsuits underway in the United States anyways over climate change. They get thrown out, but sooner or later, one judge is going to uh, side with them and then they'll have a precedent and then they'll be off and running. So so when when Canada, when this happened with the lawsuit and everything along those lines, um, what were the kids, were, were the kids talking about how they, they, they were scared about you know 10 20 30 years in the future was that kind of the basis behind it uh, at least in some of the places that i've seen in 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 the states and and fargo north dakota that where they're demanding a climate emergency one kid one child i think was yeah. 13 and said they wanted to live to be the age of 30 or 40 or something like that <laughs> yeah that's it's just it's a kind of uh, fear that they're they're talking about and i think in the Canadian, I'm not that familiar with lawsuits. Luckily, I've mercifully been out of court so far. But when I did read through their actual lawsuit, and they had a little profile of each child, and the child had to say how they were harmed so far. And so they, they said, I've been harmed by climate change because, and one kid has asthma or something, and, and because of climate change, there's more more allergens in the air in spring, so she can't go outside, so she has to sit inside, and so she's deprived of nature. And I, I, the one, one irony was that um, three of the 13 kids were, uh, they described um, suffer, not being able to enjoy their family vacation homes as much as they used to because of climate change. It, it, that irony seemed to escape a lot of people, that these poor kids couldn't go to their cottage by the lake or the ocean because of climate change, or they couldn't enjoy it as much. Uh, the, the wildest one was the kid from Ottawa who literally said, I like to play hockey, but sometimes I go and I like to play. I prefer to play at an outdoor rink. And sometimes when I go to the outdoor rink, because of climate change, it's warm and there's no ice. And so I'm sad. 
<laughs> literally, that's the core of the lawsuit. And because they have to show how they're suffering, and then they get into the, the their light, reduced life expectancy, too. But they had to catalog all of the ways that they were suffering. And it, it's it's laughable, but but they the world lapped it up. And um, it'll take years for it to, to get wind its way through Canadian courts. We can't do anything quickly here. Um, except panic, but other than that, we everything else moves at a snail's pace. So um, I'll let you know how it turns out in five years or so. Yeah, please do. Um, I, I'm just waiting for it to be cited in in some sort of divorce hearing. Be like, ah, climate change. We can't be married anymore. It's just, it's we can't do it. It's just, I mean, it's just being blamed for everything. You know, it's just. <laughs> well, did you see the, um, the, the, the? This is the every day. There's something new that just boggles my mind but the united nations passed a, a resolution i think it was last week where they said that uh, uh, uh being a refugee because of climate change is a legitimate uh, means to uh, try and enter another country so what that means is uh, someone that wants to come to the u.s they could have a flood in their home country or a forest fire or whatever ailment you come up with to, to ascribe to climate change which is everything these days and if they want to come to the u.s and want to get into the U.S., they can say, I fled my home country because I had to leave because climate change caused forest fires. And according to the United Nations, uh, the U.S. or Canada or whoever it would be would have to accept that person as a refugee. Now, if, if that doesn't stop you in your tracks, I, I don't know what would. Um, because now, in theory, you could go, because they blame every weather event is now blamed on climate change, right? If it's a hurricane, if it's too cold, it's climate change. If it's too much snow, it's climate change. If it's too dry, it's climate change. Now, any one of those is an excuse for me to come into your country because I'm fleeing what's happening in mine. This is the United Nations. This, like, this is, you, you, you can't make this stuff up, but it's, it's happening. So I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Terry Edom, the BOE Report, Public Energy Number 1, and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity on the line with us here. And we're talking about uh, some environmental issues as well as some international energy. And how is things in Canada, by the way, before we get into uh, some other business at hand? Uh, I did want to just get a quick Canadian update from you. I know you're kind of uh, in the natural gas sector, so are are you guys having some business up there? Uh, not really. We're <laughs> hanging on. The um, there well, it's a double whammy. Like we we have the our biggest uh, hurdle is access to markets. We 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 can't get our uh, oil to tide water because we can't build any pipelines. Although there's one underway, but it's been underway for uh, coming on a decade now. An expansion of uh, an existing pipeline. We can't build any natural gas pipelines, although one is underway. But it it gets uh, um, it, it you can you can spend a billion dollars advancing a pipeline, and then two people can can derail it for a year with some sort of protest or something. So uh, so we're 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 a strangled market here. We can only sell our product to uh, down to the U.S. In, in, into the interior of the continent, where you have your own glut going on. You have too much natural gas. You have too much oil. You have too much associated gas from the oil production, especially in the Permian and, and also in the Bakken. And so that's what we're competing with. So so we can't get world prices for our product. And then on top of that, the regulatory burden, the, the you're, you're just starting to see it down there. That's what we, we've been living for a long time up here. The um, you, you can't get anything done. Um, everything gets protested. Everything gets uh, blocked by environmental groups. Um, it, the The... The regulations and, and some of it is is uh, is good quality uh, preservation of habitat type regulations and everyone can live with that in the business here. It's quite onerous, but we can live with that. But it's the political part that's just choking us off here. So and, and then on top of that, the um, there's so there's the the money's a lot of money's flood the petroleum sector in Canada just because who wants to do business with the with the government like we have here. And then on top of that, there's the global movement to uh, divest from fossil fuels, like you said, in Sacramento. It's the same thing here. If any any public institution or pension fund or whatever that has any fossil fuel investments, they just get hounded mercilessly and uh, till they, uh, I don't know what they do about it, but uh, uh, some cave and sell their stuff and some don't. But uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's, a, it's not a very happy place up here. I'm, I look around downtown Calgary and a third of the 
office towers about I think it's about thirty percent are are vacant. So some buildings you can see right through them, and um, yeah, it, it's it's very grim times up here. Well, I've just seen so much of what's happened up where where you're at is trying to bleed its way down into the states and yeah it's coming and and i've seen it done through the public health debate and um they're doing you know with setbacks and 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 pollution and and just all kinds of different things and i thought it was very much like the the smoking ban um i thought it was very much done through regulation and it was done through the use of children and you know public health type of a thing because when when you're talking it's so easy to feel connected to the environment and it's oh it is yeah. and, and so you you can see where you know the activists and the environmentalists have really just taken a whole new approach to this to where um literally they they, they could like like we said before the texting te- curing drinking texting trolling you know using smartphones and I mean, they could be wearing plastic jumpsuits in protesting. It wouldn't even dawn on them. You know what I mean? To where um, has anybody in your government, because I have not heard it here. Everybody gets caught up on the energy debate here, especially how much it costs to, you know, heat something. And, you know, do we, you know, not want to heat, you know, poor people. Does anybody even bring up the manufacturing side of things up in Canada when it comes to, you know, like, like, you know, like a phone, you know, it's made out of plastic and, and parts and things like that to where, you know, just a simple thing like, you know, syringes at the hospital, how much cost difference that would be. And would they even be safe anymore if they didn't have plastic sealing them? And that, does anybody even bring up anything outside of gas and heating homes as the debate or are we still stuck on that? Well, we, we can't even get past that, and it, it's the they just go on the attack, and it's part of their program. They like they know um, that, that there's some that we could gain traction if we got those messages right and 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 out there. And some people do hear them, but they, but they are they're ready for us. They're just they say uh, you're, um, and well, and, and the best example comes from ironically Elizabeth Warren, who's who's the most coherent she's more coherent than our canadian socialist but um she went on the attack and and uh just recently in the cnn climate um democratic town hall or whatever and they asked her about that about cell phones or, or about uh, plastic bags and she she just turned that into this attack on the fossil fuel industry saying oh that's a that's a smoke screen that's what they want to talk about the fossil fuel industry they want to talk about your your plastic bags and stuff it's just a, a they're they that they're just trying to create these red herrings so to distract themselves from the pollution they're pumping into the atmosphere so so their 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 messaging is it's advanced and it's easy it's like you said if you ask the average person on the street doesn't know anything about energy other than the cost of gasoline and they might have heard that fracking is bad or something but uh so if you walk up to the average citizen and say would you would you prefer to get your power from the sun or would you for from dirty oil and it's it's a no-brainer. Like, who wouldn't say, I would prefer to get my power from the sun? They say, okay, well, you could, but these fossil fuel companies won't let you. What do you think of that? And then there they've got a convert. It's like, oh, those damn fossil fuel companies. They're, I, I, could be, I could be running on solar now, but they won't let me, or they're blocking me, or whatever. And there you go. There's another uh, member of the religion. And, and and we've done a terrible job of standing up uh, or getting in, in that process and saying that it's absurd and you need to stop saying that and you need to stop believing it and it's it's so far gone that the politicians now like warren that i gave as an example or or bernie sanders or or michael bloomberg these people are about possibly to take the helm of the largest economy in the world and they're spouting absolute nonsense like this and politicians always spout nonsense to a certain degree but this is this is we can see the consequences right we're in europe where in that article you sent the Forty percent of Romanians, or something, live in energy poverty. They can't afford their power bills and and to live. And um, it's catastrophic for these people unless the government steps in and makes it all better. The government can't do that forever. But but the politicians uh, have have absorbed this message, and they're they're so scared now. The environmental movement. We see that in Canada here, where our government declared a climate emergency. The federal government, Saw and then that. they act like they do. Um, but at the same time, they're they're. There, there's enough. Uh, there's just a little glimmer of intelligence going on there, a little spark that says, "Wait a minute, we can't kill 
the petroleum industry yet, which is one reason that they're supporting one pipeline in Canada half-heartedly. And, and like, if Warren or Sanders or whoever, if they ever do, heaven forbid, become uh, the leader of the United States, that they're talking about banning fracking the day that they get in. Well, that will vaporize that argument because they'll realize the, the stupidity of that, um, and they will backpedal immediately. But it, for now, it makes a good message, right, because it resonates with go to Los Angeles and ask someone what they think of fracking, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll learn all about fracking from someone that knows nothing about fracking because their head's full of disinformation. So, uh, And it's the same as New York or wherever. Um, and, the, and urban centers are worse because when you're in an urban center, everything comes to you automatically, and you don't think about it. You don't think about where your heat comes from. You don't think about food. Farmers are just a bunch of hicks out in, out in the hinterland. And that, that's, that's just their a view that that's a bit of a stereotype, which I shouldn't propagate, but it, it's a, it's a that's a crude way of saying that people just take everything for granted that shows up in their supermarket and their fuel in their tank and the heat in their buildings. And they, they just don't think about it. And if someone says, you don't need, you don't need petroleum to get that stuff. We can do it with solar. They go, yeah, it sounds good to me. And, and there we are. Um, where, where are the energy leaders on this? Where are, you know, I mean, the energy industry has, they, they spend billions of dollars in public relations mm-hmm. and, there's associations and all kinds of groups that are paid specifically to go yeah. go do and fight these battles. And I, I guess I, I look at it and and to be this far behind to where a yeah. 16-year-old girl got the headlining um, speech and all the all the media from the UN conference on climate change, and now it's a directly against your industry i i mean i i i don't want to oh, you know yeah. shoot the messenger or anything like that but at the same time somebody's got to stand up and say it's time for a little industry gut check at the same time yeah it, it is and it's uh well and i wrote about this in the book is i think one of the problems it's fundamentally even though it's kind of a wild catting kind of business or it has been it's a pretty conservative industry the the petroleum sector and change is hard it, t- it takes a long time and i think for many decades the um uh, petroleum sector has been used to dealing with governments that's that's how they operated you know, the governments around the world and, and even state governments and up here provincial governments but almost every country in the world wanted their petroleum resources developed so they they wanted companies to come in, they they held auction right, auctions for the rights to develop them. They still do that in part in Africa and other parts of the world. Norway just did it. They want these resources developed. So so petroleum companies dealt with governments, and the governments made it happen. Um, so now, in the past ten years, which is not very long in the big scheme of things, governments have turned their backs on the petroleum sector, saying we can't support you guys anymore. We don't want anything to do with you. You're pariahs now. And and so the that was the animal um, by that operated probably a hundred years. They're left on the pole. Well, wait a minute. Now governments won't support us. Now the public's been turned against us, um, and everybody's been convinced that they can live without uh, petroleum, and they can't. But how, how do we start messaging now? And they're just, and in the warp speed of social media and and and. Um, uh, digital messaging and, and things move so quickly and they're so good at it. The, these people that have, and they have hired a lot of kids that have grown up in this world too. And, and, and now you have these conservative old institutions trying to figure out, all right, let's set up a Twitter account here. Now what are we going to do? And, and then they put out some pablum on there that, and there, I wrote about that too in the, in my book, which was, it's the statistics are about a year, year and a half old now, but Exxon Mobil's Twitter account was, um, uh, it was it was a joke compared to any other amateur um, climate organization, and they, they, the tweets that they have, they put out a tweet and it would get like 50 likes or something. Well, Exxon has like 70,000 employees worldwide, and so that, that that's what their social media presence was. That's who it resonated with, was 50 people out there or something, I can't remember the exact number. Um, whereas you look at a green organization, then they'll put out some disinformation, and then it goes spreads out their network like wildfire, and two hours later, it's been recirculated everywhere. It's in the news. Everybody's talking about it, liking it. Uh, where's Greta going next? It's just like it's like a wildfire. And and then and then the petroleum sector 
is sitting there trying to figure out, well, how do we explain to people that lipstick is made with petroleum? And and we spent two years working on that message, and, and then the world has changed infinitely in two years, and we're still trying to figure out those basics. So I think I think we need all of those old people that are running it. They need to hire a bunch of young digital whip-smart kids and then educate them on the role, the real role of petroleum in our society, and then turn them loose and say, and make them understand the consequences of not having it, which shouldn't be that hard, but we seem to have a challenge with it. Well, therein lies the challenge. About five years ago, we started on the story about the retirement uh, happening in the industry. 70% of the industry is supposed to be retired by 2022, and there's kind of a vetting process going. They call it the big cruise shift, uh, where... You've got, you know, because in the 90s, remember, we had low oil prices. So there was a decade where the oil industry really didn't hire anybody. They just, you know, they were yeah. they were, they were, were on, you know, cruise control basically for the 90s. And it wasn't until the new shale revolution. So you've got Gen X and millennials and even younger than the millennials now. So you got essentially three generations that oil and gas companies are faced with hiring. And I'll tell you what. There's an interesting thing going on because I just saw a study the other day. We're going to be talking to them next week. It had to do with um, uh, people in the oil and gas sector. Half of them are looking for jobs in the renewable sector. Think about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as you're vetting through your oil and gas professionals, yeah, you can bring in some young people, but you might be bringing in your own Trojan horse people because these guys, you know as well as I do, <laughs> There's a ton of people yeah. who just work for the check. They don't care about capitalism. They don't care about socialism. All they care oh, yeah, about yeah. is once that once that tail gets pulled and that bird goes goes chirp, Fred Flintstone <laughs> goes sliding down that tail at five o'clock, baby. Once that you know what I mean? Once the dinner bell rings and the oh, yeah, work's over. And there's other people that, hey, they'll go sleep on the well site for four straight days to make sure the monitors are right and the levels are right and everything's taken care. There are some people that their work is their life. And a lot of times that was the oil and gas industry. But right now it's going through a change. It is going through a change and I see it every single day. I'm seeing guys that are trying to be activists. They're already tired. We haven't even started the political season. We haven't yeah, even yeah. started it yet, and you guys are already tired. How does that happen? Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I don't know what the answer is. All I know is that um, there is that 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 the energy industry uh, is conservative. I agree with you, and I do agree with you that they are very slow to change. But I also want to say one thing: that if they don't change, change is happening around them already. I agree completely. Yep. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and to me, that's kind of the message is that the energy industry has to change. Otherwise it's, it's, they're not going to have a choice in the change because it's happening by a 16 year old girl in an army of existential fear kids. Right. And, and whether they're right or wrong or whether it's crazy or not crazy, it's happening. Like you said, so it, it's, uh, it, it doesn't do any good. It, it's, in some ways, it's we're an engineering-led business too, where things are. Uh, engineers have a, a wonderfully uh, efficient view of the world, where if they think if something is so obvious, people will figure it out, but they won't figure it out. There's uh, people just don't think about where their heat comes from, or where their food comes from, or where their fuel comes from. They're they're willing to be led by uh, fear-driven um, institutions. So, yeah, we we have to figure that game out. Well, we'll continue to reach out to people across the borders, so much so we have Terry Edom on, the man of international content. He's an author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. He's a writer for the BOE Report, and he's a blogger for his own personal website, Public Energy Number 1. And he's also uh, the man, the myth, the legend, and the author, writer, and blogger. So he's got a lot of nicknames, but... Uh, wrapping up here, man, uh, what, what, what's the takeaway? I mean, we're going to still continue to reach out to the kids. You know, us at the crude life, we're, we're talking to college kids and high school kids trying to get their perspective. We're doing what little we can, you know, we don't get the big funds and, you know, the big sponsorship dollars, like all the other guys, you know, like you, 
You and your big look at me. I got I I got best selling book money. <laughs> I'm being tongue in cheek here. So please support him, folks. He needs he needs the support too. So <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, what's what's next though? What what do you think people should do? I mean, you know, like I said, our strategy is for the last three years to to try to reach out to people with an olive branch, with a steady hand, hand and you know, and, and, you know, inform and entertain and do that, not yell at people and not, you know, that sort of thing. And is it working? I don't know, but it seems to, we're still growing with our numbers. What are you guys doing at your, either, either your energy company that you work for or your media companies? How are you guys adapting to the change that's happening around us? Well, on, on our, the company I work for, we just, we're just producers. So we're in a bit of that find where we just do what we've always done we take our product to market and we hope for a good price so uh, which is not a good strategy these days we need to to do uh, as much value adding as we can and i know there's some uh, second order businesses that are springing up how do, you, how do you add value to natural gas you can have power plants or you can find some industries that are um, that require natural gas as a feedstock and in the u.s like you have such a glut of gas like there's so many industries that require cheap energy so i think that's one way to look at it on the more macro level with the, the battleground against the, the climate um, uh, scene, I think that we, we just have to just calm down and just look where we're at and try and try and be like they are and try and move ahead of them. What, what, where are they going to go with their messaging next? And, and, and not just their messaging, but it, it is a train wreck. What they're pushing is a train wreck, and it's unfolding before our eyes. We see it in Germany. We saw it with the energy poverty, like we were talking about earlier, where the greener they get, the more problems they have. Uh, essentially, if you rely on wind and solar, the, the Australian United Kingdom, I'm writing a story about this, or not a story, but reporting on it, but they, their, their grids have become so reliant on renewables that they become unstable, and they're susceptible to these large-scale power outages, as California is becoming. Um, they have to shut, it in, shut in uh, large chunks of their grid, under certain conditions, and part of that is because they have, there's not enough maintenance spent on the grid to clear all the trees underneath. So, the the more the more we, we give money to the wind and solar factions, the less reliable our grids become, and the more people are going to suffer become of it because of it. And it's happening out there, and it's happening in Germany where the costs are through the roof. It happened in Ontario where the costs went through the roof, and we need to get out. We need to start using these facts as uh, as 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 a method of explaining to people like this is going to come out of your hide um there were a couple of surveys done in canada the united states last summer where they asked people are you concerned about climate change and like the majority of them say oh yes we're concerned it's like 75 percent in each country said we're concerned or extremely concerned and they then they asked the same people how much are you willing to pay to do something about it and in both countries the answer is almost the same about 90 percent of the people would not spend 500 dollars a year to fight climate change and over just over half the population wouldn't spend a hundred bucks a year to fight climate change so so they say one thing that they're scared because they're supposed to be scared but when when you say okay let's see your your checkbook they say ah, i'm not doing anything so there's that's the cold hard reality and that's that's where the public's mind is at and we need to understand that and we need to paint this picture for them like okay if you, you these people that are telling you that we're going to go all wind and solar, renewable, um, they're telling you that. Here's the real-life consequence of that. Your power bill could go up by $500 a month, not not per year. Or maybe that's a bit harsh. That happens in extreme places, like that Ontario example I gave. But if you're looking at two to $300 a month, which is certainly within the realm of possibility for these schemes, and a lot more if you want to go all renewable, it's going to be way higher. Do you understand that, people? That you're you're going to be spending two, three, four, five thousand dollars a year more on your power than you are right now, and you don't even consider it now, but you're going to. So those those are the um, th- those are facts that we can deal with, and that's a something that we can work on making the, the general public understand too. One thing I, I'll just end with is, um, and I'll give you opportunity to plug your sites one time. Is you know for me. I agree with you on what you're talking about and trying to educate and trying to get people to understand. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is that we, we live on a very active planet and this planet, I, I remember when I was in the Bakken, 
um, out in Dickinson, North Dakota, and I had on somebody from the from the forest ranger on because there was a I think there was a fire going on, and they showed me the number of lightning strikes that happened, and I was just astounded. And so I looked it up, and it was something like there's a lightning strike every 11 seconds on this planet. Okay, and yeah, yeah. yeah and then I looked in, in a little further, and like every five six hours, there's a major earthquake, like a, like a Richter five on this planet well okay and there's a tidal wave that that crosses the pacific ocean every couple months and there's just you know these just just monumental things that normally would just rock us to our core they just happen every day and they happen all the time and so every time somebody comes out and they point to you know the, the the tragedy in bangladesh or something that happened in pakistan or this you know, wildfire started because of because yeah, of the yeah. the, the uh, lightning in Australia or whatever it might be, and they'll say it's the end of the world. And I just look at them and I say, No, it is the world. That is the world. You yeah, don't that get is, it. That, that's that, been happening forever. That, yeah. That's been going on since the before the dawn of man. You know, and mm-hmm. and, and that is a very hard conversation to have. And it's it's too bad that mm-hmm. our leaders out there, the ones that are funded and receive the resources from the energy companies, they, they, they can't stop that level of existential fear and, and just even dial it down and just dial it down. It's, just, it's, it's something like I've never seen before. So um, how can people get entertained, educated, and uh, informed on the fossil fuel industry and all the things that it does and brings to our lives, sir, with your view of the industry? Well, the very best place to start is to buy my book. So, how's that for a shameless plug? That's and and I couldn't have set you up any better either. I mean, it was it's like you, you know it's like it up perfectly. oh it's like an alley oop man. You're LeBron James and I'm anybody. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't anybody could have put that one in. If you're LeBron, yeah. I could be anybody <laughs> off the street and you'll look good. So, uh, yeah, where where can people get the book and your website and all that stuff? Uh, sure, my website is uh, Public Energy Number One. And the uh, book is available. The book is "The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity," and it's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble online. And uh, it was written for you know, this very purpose. What we've been talking about, just to to demystify this this process for people or this stalemate that we're in, where we're we're, we're actively trying to kill off an industry that keeps us all alive, which should be. And I think it is nonsensical to a lot of people. I think a lot of people are kind of stopped in their tracks by going, "Wait a minute! Like, how does this work?" I know I'm hearing this message in one ear about how we're all going to die because of uh, fossil fuels, and at the same time, I can see that I use them every day. So, I, how, how do we get here? How do we? How, how can I make sense of this? And that's those are the people that I wrote the book for—the ones that are the, that are curious about that question. So, 